0: Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
0: But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: Hälsosnack produceras av hälsocoacherna Lotta Lagerqvist och Victoria Carinci i syfte att inspirera till ett hälsosammare och härligare liv. Lotta och Victoria driver också hälsoföretaget Vitalista, där de erbjuder hälsocoaching enskilt, i grupp och online. Läs gärna mer på vitalista.se Hej Lotta! Hej
3: Victoria och hej och varmt välkommen till dig som lyssnar till ett nytt och lärorikt
2: avsnitt av Hälsosnack. Ja för idag har vi nämligen en alldeles speciell gäst som vi har sett fram emot att få prata med länge. Vi har nämligen träffat den amerikanska funktionsmedicinska läkaren Gabrielle Lyon som jobbar med något som kallas Muscle Centric Medicine, alltså med fokus på kroppens muskelmassa just därför att Den är så viktig för att optimera hälsan, minska risken för sjukdom och inte minst för att bibehålla en god hälsa när man blir äldre. Alltså anti-aging och longevity. Ja, men precis. Och Gabriel hon är en av de främsta
3: experterna inom det här och har koll på den senaste forskningen om varför protein är så viktigt. Och att äta just med protein, det är ju något som verkligen gjort stor skillnad på inte
2: bara vår egen hälsa utan även våra klienter. Så här ligger jag oss väldigt varmt om hjärtat. Ja, men verkligen. Och därför är det ju så roligt att få prata med Gabriel som förklarar och reder ut begrepp och de underliggande mekanismerna till varför protein är så viktigt och hur mycket vi egentligen behöver äta och om vilka aminosyror som är särskilt viktiga och såklart om det finns några risker med att äta mer protein. Men det är ju inte utan lite ångest som vi släpper det här avsnittet för det här med att helt plötsligt
3: prata engelska det... ja, och
2: direkt räcker med jullovet också.
3: Ja, ah, nej men eller hur. Och det, det vänder ju verkligen ut och in på hjärnan. Så att vi ber om ursäkt nu på förhand. För att det kanske blir lite knaggligt ibland.
2: Ja, ah. Herregud, det är verkligen en utmaning att intervjua på ett annat språk. Följdfrågorna kommer ju inte helt naturligt och man famlar efter ord och ibland blandar ihop begreppen. Men ja, ja. vi hoppas att ni har lite tålamod med oss. Och sen så är det ju framförallt Gabrielle som pratar och det hon säger är ju både intressant och viktigt. Så. Yeah.
3: Ja, men eller hur? Mm. Och om du som lyssnar inte riktigt hänger med i allt som Gabriel går igenom eller att tycker att vi är lite snurriga så har vi skrivit en sammanfattning på svenska i vår blogg på vitalista.se. Så där har vi också mer länkar till fördjupning och
2: förklaringar för dig som vill veta mer. Så gå in och kika där, vet jag. Ja, och vi kommer också att starta igång en serie inlägg på det här ämnet på Instagram. Så följ oss gärna där på att hälsosnack med Lotta och Victoria.
3: Toppen, men nu kan jag inte hålla mig längre. Nu drar vi igång intervjun med Gabriel.
4: A very warm welcome to the Snack podcast, Dr. Gabrielle León. So happy to have you here.
3: Hi, thanks so much. And congratulations, we know that you're very pregnant. How do you feel? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, actually, it's so interesting. This pregnancy, they say each pregnancy is different. And I would say that that is likely true. The first pregnancy, I was very sick. And the second pregnancy, we're we're actually having a boy, and I'm much less ill. Um, All right.
3: Congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, you look awesome. I I wouldn't tell. (laughs) I couldn't never tell unless, you know, you told us. So, yeah. And yeah, and of course, we're very excited and honored to have you on our show and uh, you've been a great inspiration to both of us for quite some time and we learned so much from you and we can't wait to start asking you all our questions. We have so many. Yeah, we have so many, but (laughs) first of all, we're going to give you the chance to introduce yourself to our listeners
1: and tell them a little bit about yourself, your background and your field of expertise. Yes, absolutely. Well, my name is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and I am a functional medicine physician and I practice the concept of medicine called muscle-centric medicine. And this is the idea that muscle is the largest organ in the body and it's actually an endocrine organ. And it's not just about looking good in a bikini or movement. It is all about metabolic health and longevity. And my practice focuses on optimization of skeletal muscle. Yes, in the aspect of looking good, but much more on the value of importance of aging well, preventing Alzheimer's, affecting cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, all these diseases are actually diseases of largely skeletal muscle first.
3: And how did you get into this area? You know, it's pretty unique.
1: It is. And actually, you know, um, we were talking earlier offline about how important protein was, and I have the honor and privilege of training with one of the world-leading protein experts, Dr. Donald Lehman, and he's mentored me for two decades. And it was with him that I first realized the importance of nutritional sciences. So I did my undergraduate degree in nutrition, in vitamin mineral me- metabolism at the University of Illinois, and it was very protein-focused not only was it protein-focused, it was very full of integrity. So the science aspect, what was so unique about Dr. Lehman, and I think people will find this with all great researchers, is that it's not about necessarily just the textbook teaching. Because by the time a textbook comes out, that's, you know, it's kind of old news. There are core fundamentals, but actually seeing the emerging research is what is so valuable. And I learned all about protein metabolism with him very early on in my career and to this day. Um, And so where muscle centric medicine came from was when I I then did a fellowship. So I did medical school residency and um, then an additional fellowship at WashU in St. Louis in nutritional sciences and obesity medicine and geriatrics. So it was a combination. And to tell you this story, there was this moment where I saw this younger woman. And when I say younger, I mean, in her 40s. And we were imaging brains. So we were looking at obesity and then imaging um, brain volume and what the brain matter looked like um, as a way to look at later life dementia and Alzheimer's. And she was probably my favorite subject. So she was, you know, what we call subjects, it was for a study. And she had three kids, always put herself last, had been on the yo-yo diet train for her entire life. And we imaged her brain. We did an fMRI and we saw a flattening of her brain matter. And this was in her 40s. And it was so devastating. And we knew that later on in life, she was going to have pretty significant cognitive impairment.
3: So you could see that so early. In her 40s. Oh, my God.
1: And it dawned on me, I had this aha moment because, you know, you spend a lot of time with these um, participants and I had this moment where I thought to myself, oh my God, we've all been focusing on the wrong tissue. Everybody is focusing on obesity and there's this obesogenic paradigm. We have to lose more weight. You know, we have to lose more body fat. And while all of that may be relevant, it is a symptomology based approach because at the core it's really about skeletal muscle. And that determines everything about body composition and everything about metabolism. And that's where muscle-centric medicine was born. It was really born in a way of changing the paradigm of thinking to help prevent these diseases of aging that everyone seems to be on a hamster wheel about.
4: Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more more about protein? Because uh, protein has... Uh, kind of a bad reputation, horrible, and it's uh, it's also very much misunderstood. So can you tell us a little bit about the quality of protein, why it's
1: important? Um, Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So like you so wisely pointed out, it's very misunderstood, and it's the proverbial black sheep of the macronutrient family, right? It gets a lot of heat, and there's a lot of issues, what people anticipate as issues surrounding protein but protein why it's so important is number 1 it's essential and it's essential for muscle health but it's also essential for hormones and neurotransmitters and even body integrity so it's non-negotiable right there is a carbo- there is a protein need and protein does much more than just feed skeletal muscle every amino acid has more than one role in the body and that is very <laughs> unique so there is essential amino acids and non-essential amino acids. And the majority of the quality of protein is really based on those essential amino acids. And those are amino acids that must be ingested from the diet. The body does not make it. And when you think about the quality of protein, the plant-based protein is different in its quality because of its basic amino acid amount. So and that's that? not...
4: Sorry, yeah. but that's not... Um what we usually hear. Because we usually hear that protein is protein and you can get all the protein you need from plants. And a lot of people go plant-based now because of, well,
1: mostly the environment, I would say. And that's interesting because if you really think about environmental causes, it's not, you know, you can't just point the finger at cattle, right? So if we really were to think about it, then you shouldn't have horses. You shouldn't have dogs and you shouldn't have cats. No and there there's you know and when we really look at you know and I can I just speak to the US 80 plus percent is from electricity transportation industry agriculture is much much a much much smaller contribution to environmental causes yeah you know talking about less than you know what is it 9% maybe 14% is is probably much too high so if people truly care about the environment there's much more intelligent ways to go about protecting it, right? Not yeah. wasting food, mitigating travel. Exactly. You know, regenerative agriculture. Mm. But I think that the reality is is that beef and cattle is are it's a scapegoat.
3: Mm.
1: It's a scapegoat for an underlying narrative that people want a reason to not eat meat or protein.
3: But for me, like eating animal-based protein has been such a change for my life, you know, it not just being able to um, gain more uh, muscle mass, but also a more energy, more, um, you know, my hormone levels and uh, my everyday well-being.
1: Totally. And, you know, again, I, I think what you said initially about plants have all the amino acid requirement, well, they may have the amino acids, but at what level? So it's really important to understand that when you think about amino acids and you think about proteins, all about the dosing, Mm -hmm. right? So for example, it would take six cups of quinoa to equal one large chicken breast. Sorry, We were talking about the amino acid profile and Mm -hmm. the difference between plants and animals. And I think that it's very understa- un- I think that it's very important and critical to understand that while quinoa can have all the amino acids, the amount of quinoa that you would need to consume to equal one small chicken breast would be roughly six cups of quinoa. Mm.
3: Mm.
4: So then you will get a lot of carbs too, and yes. a lot of glucose in your
1: blood. Yeah. Exactly. So it's metabolically devastating.
3: And mm-hmm. then we haven't even talked about the inhibitors, like yeah. Um, yeah. anti-nutrients, antinutrients
1: that mm-hmm. prohibit the, the Yeah. Uptake. And to your point, you know, when you think about protein, you think about, you know, in my mind, I think about the amino acid profile, um, which one of the things that you talked about was feeling more energy, your hormones are better, your body is able to regenerate. So protein turnover is very important. The body is constantly in a breakdown, build-up cycle. And you really want to be on the side of building up and respond to the physiology of the catabolism that naturally happens. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. When you think about the amino acids, I talk a lot about the branched-chain amino acids and that's leucine, isoleucine, and valine, and really that's what makes up, in my mind, the importance of high quality protein for the very simple reason is that leucine, and I really focus a lot on leucine, and in part, you know, naturally because of my training, but leucine stimulates muscle protein synthesis. Mm, so that has and, a very special role amongst the uh, amino acids. It does. And it is necessary to consume at a particular amount, and the amount is roughly two and a half grams to actually trigger this threshold. So it's a threshold response. And, you know, people who are listening to this are probably like, well, why do I care about the threshold response? You care about the threshold response because as you age, you have an uphill battle to maintain skeletal muscle. And while people may not care about how they look, you know, in a bikini or, or look as terms of body composition, what you care about is you care about present, preventing Alzheimer's. You care about preventing diabetes you care about preventing obesity you care about preventing diseases that can really affect the trajectory of how you age
3: but i'm also thinking I yeah. yeah and i'm also thinking especially now during the corona and covid you may end up on hospital what you store you store so much in your muscle you know if you're in a, a, a ivu unit for a while The more muscle you have, the greater chance you can survive. You know, I'm telling my
1: parents, you know, you need to work out, build some muscle because it's life-saving for any age. It is. And it's so interesting if we just take a step back and we look at the story that we've constantly witnessed over decades, it's been all about adipose tissue and all about fat and obesity. (sighs) And what we really care is how do we improve the quality of life and how do we improve survivability? Mm. And the way that we improve those things is that we focus heavily on skeletal muscle. In your 30s, 40s, 50s, this becomes non-negotiable and essential. Mm. So we have to, as a community, make the push to change from a fat-focused paradigm to more muscle-centric. Mm. And the way to do that is you really prioritize protein. Mm.
4: You think it makes about- so much sense.
1: Yeah. So you prioritize dietary protein, high quality dietary protein, not just for the amino acids, but also for the nutrient matrix. So, you know, selenium and iron and zinc and B vitamins. So there's so many in creatine, there's so many nutrients hmm. that are valuable, um, beyond that, that is just the amino acids
4: mm So let's talk a little bit about how much protein then should we eat? And you were talking about the catabolic versus the anabolic state. So at night when we go to sleep, we're in a catabolic state and that we would like to break with the breakfast, right? Yeah. So how, how much protein do we need to eat to
1: break that fast? This is a great question. And the first meal of the day, regardless of when it is, is arguably the most important. So this becomes the meal where you break the fast and you know overnight you are in a catabolic state. Your body is uh, generating its own glucose through glucone- gluconeogenesis via the liver. And that first meal, so you are in a deficit, that first meal, I like to tell people to have a robust amount of protein. And by robust, this might blow people's minds you know, I used to tell people a minimum of 30 grams and that's adequate. But if you don't like to eat multiple meals, then really pushing that that meal threshold to 40, 45 grams for that first meal is very valuable.
4: Mm. And that is like, if we would translate that into say eggs, that would be like three to five eggs,
1: right? That would be probably six. So for every egg, has what six grams of protein?
4: Yeah, six. So, six or eight? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah,
4: yeah. So that's that's quite a lot on the plate.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. People mm. always raise their eyebrows when I say what I have for breakfast. I have like two hundred fifty grams of minced meat, two or three eggs, maybe some bacon, and then my homemade um, liver pate. And uh, so I think that's roughly 50 grams
1: more. It's very impressive.
3: <laughs> and they're like, you eat like a man. But, you know, volume, it's not that much. But, uh, but I,
1: I but can last forever. That that's the, but it's not interesting that that's the perspective. Somewhere along the line, we've been taught that having oats or bananas or these smoothies for breakfast is the right thing to do. Couldn't be further from the truth. Because if we were to think about it metabolically, we're in an overnight fast. The most important thing that you do is you replenish muscle, so you stimulate muscle in the morning. And not only that, but by keeping carbohydrates low, you don't spike your insulin. We know that when you increase insulin, you then, become, then you then get to a point where you are chasing blood sugar all day long. So you've got fatigue and then you have cortisol, you have all these other aspects of health and also metabolic markers that would possibly not make you feel well, right? Mm-hmm. It's, excess insulin is a problem.
3: Yeah. And And now it's three in the afternoon. I haven't eaten since 10 and I feel...
1: Which is amazing. Yeah. Which is is very amazing, you know. So individuals, you know, having the first meal of the day, very protein heavy is ideal. Um, And then if you want to add carbohydrates, I tend to use, utilize carbohydrates later on in the day because you've been up and you've been moving and you've been utilizing and moving your skeletal muscle. And skeletal muscle is the site for glucose disposal.
3: Yeah, so especially after training or workout, yeah, at night.
1: You know, and I am not an anti-carbohydrate person. I personally don't um, eat a ton of carbohydrates. That's just personal preference. But when you think about carbohydrates, it's actually exactly what you said. You you have to dose it and you have to be very conscientious of the dosing. And I, I typically recommend meal per meal dosing. So rather than looking at the carbohydrates in a 24-hour per period, it's how many carbohydrates can you tolerate at a meal? Mm. And that varies among... Um, it does vary based on activity and, of course, size, but I actually recommend no more than 40 grams per meal. Uh, mm. Because if you go over 40 grams, you get a robust insulin response. mm So whereas protein might cause an initial phase one insulin response, which is just the preformed insulin, which is very not, it's not impactful and not nearly the same response that you would get from carbohydrates. The secondary response is pretty intensive.
4: Mm. So Uh, each meal, a maximum of of 40 grams of carbohydrates and at least 30 uh, grams of protein.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm. And there's some nuance to that. So um, I'll be talking more and more about this. I There is a concept called what I call protein cycling and it's different than this concept of protein cycling throughout weeks. Some people will say they'll go three weeks with high protein and then one week with low protein. I don't believe that that's necessary. I mean, there's probably, you know, benefits to that. But an alternative way of thinking is more uh, along with protein pulsing. So you get that first meal of the day at, say, roughly 40 grams or even a little higher. The next meal actually can be a little bit lower. And you have to think, are you using it metabolically for muscle or are you just using it to curb hunger? So once you stimulate that very expensive process of ATP utilization and muscle protein synthesis, the body remains, um, very active and we don't actually know how long that lasts. We don't know how long it takes to kind of reset that mechanism. It might be five hours, it might be longer. So, um, you know, really thinking about having at least two meals where you've hit that threshold of loosing, loosing is important. Mm -hmm. And you do that by just very practically getting 40 grams at a meal.
0: Mm
4: A yep. lot of people now talk about uh, how beneficial fasting is, and also talking about that you need to be without, go without protein for some time, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs>
3: and mostly stimulate autophagy and
4: yeah. things like that. Um, because protein is is very building. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. so what do you think about that? Is it necessary to go without protein from time to time, and for how long?
1: I think that that's an interesting concept. I think that um, it's conceptual and I I haven't seen great evidence about that because when you think about it, um, muscle and rebuilding tissue is incredibly valuable. The way to utilize autophagy would not be targeted towards protein, Um, particularly. I would say, you know, fasting can be great. There's a period of time where you need it. Um, And it requires a certain amount of hours and, you know, what that looks like until you get an autophagy effect, um, I think is pretty substantial, the amount of time. I think one has to be incredibly cautious the older they get because the mechanisms and the physiology of the body is at a disadvantage. So once you destroy skeletal muscle and once you utilize skeletal muscle, it becomes much more difficult to maintain and protect. Mm. When you go through periods of fasting, it is in essence catabolic. Mm. So there are, you know, depending on your age, depending on what you're dealing with, can you fast? Yes, absolutely. Do I think that it can be very negative for skeletal muscle? Yes. Mm. And I think perhaps we target a different avenue of autophagy other than dietary protein.
4: Mm. So for us, we're 45. We're women. Um, how long a time of fasting do you think is, is um, uh, beneficial? Would it be like intermittent fasting 16-8? Or would it yes. be like three days or five days fasting? Or wh- what are we talking about?
1: So in my practice, I use a time-restricted feeding protocol. So, if a person's goal is body composition, time-restricted protocols where it's exactly what you said, sixteen-eight, can be very effective. If an individual is overweight, you can, you know, leptin resistant, perhaps, you can put in one week a twenty-four-hour period of fasting. Absolutely possible. Um, you know, you have to make sure that they can tolerate it. But I have seen, and this is purely anecdotal, by the way. So I think it's very important to differentiate between what is in the literature and what is just the art and practice of medicine. So this is purely anecdotal art of medicine. I've seen a 24-hour period be very effective. I have also seen a period of time where you go five days with, um, with it's actually methionine restriction, and this is the fasting mimicking diet. I'm not a fan of the science. I have to be very upfront with you. I think that the science has been very butchered. And I think that they use a lot of mouse models that are ad libitum fed, that are obese, um, you know, o- obese pictures. So I think that the evidence is uh, not ideal, but I do think that conceptually I have seen benefit with methionine restriction, which is one of the amino acids.
3: Mm.
1: And that's a five-day period. And speaking
3: of... Um us being forty-five, or actually I'm forty-six, <laughs> be, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. But I was listening to this um, uh, podcast the other day with, um, uh, yeah, Dr. Mark Hyman and Dr. Frank Lipman, I think. No, maybe it wasn't. Uh, whatever, it was a podcast, and uh, he said that. Be, now we're going to talk M. Thor and uh, <laughs> so due and I've
1: to, talked to Mark quite a bit about mTOR we've had many conversations about yeah. it yeah oh great and, and yeah and so, mTOR is mechanistic target of rapamycin for the listeners who may not know and what it is is it's really a, a growth promoter right yeah. mTOR is all about growth so that's what's the triggers the growth in the muscles so it's a good thing it's a good thing. And actually mTOR is in all tissues. Yeah. It's in the pancreas and the liver and the heart and the brain. And what's so interesting, and this is a very, and there's mTOR complex one and mTOR complex two. Um, so it, it's a, it's very complex and it's been maintained for in our species forever. I think So it's, in essence, a nutrient sensor. And people say, but if you overstimulate mTOR and you stimulate mTOR, it's going to cause cancer. Yeah, so So they they said older, like above 45. But it's not an initiator. No. That's just not how mTOR works. So mTOR is a growth promoter. But, you know, when you think about cancer, what kind of cancer are we talking about? Lung?
4: Mm. Colon?
1: Endometrium? You know? Uterine. So these are all the questions that we must ask ourselves. So you know, there's many different kinds of cancer. What kind of cancer are we talking about?
3: Yes, and I'm thinking because now I know, I, I, it's harder for me to build muscle. Of so course. starting because they, in this podcast they say, well, s- switch from animal protein to um, a plant-based protein because Nothing that's from the truth.
1: No, and and I was thinking, how am I supposed to build my muscle? But not only that, mTOR is is very sensitive. It's much more so there's mTOR, mechanistic target of rapamycin complexes in skeletal muscle that is exquisitely sensitive to amino acids, period. The mTOR in pancreas, liver, heart, brain, other places are much more sensitive, you know, particularly liver and pancreas, to carbohydrates and excess calories. Mm. And insulin. And insulin. So if Mm. someone really cares about mTOR, eating plant-based, having excess carbohydrates is probably the worst thing you could do Mm.
3: good we just wanted to hear that from you
1: (laughs) and i if if i felt that it was the other way around i would absolutely say but it's it's very misunderstood and people you know if if you really care about cancer and you're concerned about mTOR then you really have to cut carbohydrates and insulin and you shouldn't do small feedings throughout the day period
3: No, and also the whole context, you know, with smoking, get enough sleep, uh, exercise, you know, the whole picture. It's like, like, what is the context this body is uh, exposed to? You know, it's not just...
1: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And and I think that, um, I do think you bring up a really good point, and people should be very clear that there's never been any evidence that protein, especially animal protein, causes cancer. No. So the plant-based groups talk a lot about epidemiology data, which is considered very low-quality data. And, you know, you can't make global health recommendations based on low-quality data. When looking at all randomized controlled trials, many of the randomized controlled trials, which are repeatable, they test a hypothesis and are repeatable, have been shown, you know, to show the positive effects of protein.
4: Hmm. But a lot of people still think that um, uh, animal protein causes colon cancer.
1: It's epidemiology. Mm. And so epidemiology takes large groups of people and they say, um, you know, it doesn't matter if they smoked or drank or didn't eat anything other than whatever, but they ate red meat.
3: Hmm. But we can really say, because I saw that the U.S. Dietary Guidelines was updated the other week, and we can really see that they're not going for the science, uh, because they're still allowing, I think, 10 grams of sugar, and uh, yeah, it was ridiculous,
1: you know. <laughs> they didn't yeah. even listen to the experts, so. And I think that that's just an example of a lot of policy,
3: mm. you know? mm.
1: I mean, this is just a lot of policy, and I think that that's the problem overall. Is that we are getting, you know, it's it's not just pure science. There's a lot of politics involved,
3: mm.
1: and that that's a real issue. Mm.
4: So we don't have to be afraid of animal protein. Uh, fasting for some people can be good, but mm-hmm. it's not because you really do need to be go without protein or or amino acids for some time.
1: No, and and you know the speculation is. One of the ways that you would push autophagy with protein restriction is because it causes immense stress in the body. Mm. And that's kind of the mechanism is that there's some um, very stressful component with this, quote, methionine restriction that happens. You know, in the mechanisms, I'm not totally sure about. I'm not sure if anyone is yet, but it's a stressful state.
4: Oh, right. So kind of a hermetic stressor then. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe cold exposure, because Lot and I have just been talking about uh, our cold showers versus cold baths here earlier. And that is a hormetic stressor, and that might be a better stressor than, than
1: exactly. yeah. I think we just have to be very careful as why we continue to demonize animal protein.
3: Mm.
1: And I think just for all of us listening, we just have to take a step back, you know, perhaps what we've been taught and told is incorrect. And it's the very thing that keeps us sick and the information that gets filtered down um, is not necessarily uh, not without bias.
3: No. And we always go back, you know, thinking about the evolution when we think, you know, does this make sense? No, we've been eating meat for millions of years. It would be crazy if that would cause
1: cancer or make us sick. And then the next question is you'd have to say, well, by what mechanism of action? Mm. it's not mTOR so what else is it Mm. for what you know
4: but we've learned now that muscle is very uh, beneficial for our health it's essential and it's triggered by eating protein enough protein but it's also triggered by weight training right it it is yeah so i'm very curious about your own
1: uh, uh workout routine
3: yeah. When you're not well, very pregnant.
1: <laughs> and I am and I still train, actually. That's what I was doing right before um I came here. So I actually trained with a girl named Melissa Paris. She's amazing. Um and we've trained for two, through two pregnancies. All right. And I do all kettlebells. Oh, cool. So heavy kettlebell swings, Turkish get ups. Oh right. Turkish hands. get ups with your <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and i do that 3 days a week and typically early on in the pregnancy i'll do it four up until mid second trimester and then i do it roughly 3 days and that's it and we, we go for about 45 minutes mm-hmm. depending if mm-hmm. she programs it all but a lot of swings so i do that's kind of my aspect of cardio is mm-hmm. the kettlebell swings
3: And when you're not pregnant, you have—is it different then, or do you lift heavier? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I really like the—I really like adding in high-intensity interval training, two to three days a week for about 20 minutes, and Mm. I—I really try to push um, that—that maximum output, the VO2 max, Mm. as hard as Mm -hmm. I can go. And I actually really enjoy that kind of training. Certainly not while pregnant, but um, I, I really do enjoy that kind of training. So that would be, you know, two to three days a week, and then. More functional movements, so like sled pushes, um, heavier squats, heavier deadlifts. Yeah. Mm.
4: Mm. And do you usually go to a gym or do you do a lot sure. of your training at
1: home? So, because of our current situation here with COVID, uh, all the training is done at home. So, we have a full gym set up here. Um, but otherwise, I love going to the gym. Yeah. I love collaborative effort. Mm-hmm.
4: Cool. And I've, I've read that you're, you're married to a Navy SEAL. So oh, yeah. um, I've understood that there's a lot of focus on on, on heavy training.
1: <laughs> so I will never forget when I went to work out with him one of the first times. Maybe it wasn't one of the first times, but he said, all right. And I was doing a lot of pull-ups at the time. I was doing probably 100. I was doing 10 sets of 10 pull-ups, dead hang pull-ups, which take a very long time. Right. So I would do 10. And I'm thinking you know, this is when we first started dating. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm totally going to impress him. I'm going to do 10 pull-ups at a time. And and I did it. He's like, great job, great job. And then I, you know, got ready, did my next set of 10 and and had to reset. And he's like, all right, well, while you're resting, I'm going to do some. And so he, he gets up and he straps on a weight vest and then a guy knocks out 50 pull-ups, no problem with 45 pounds. Um, Oh my God. Oh. he's like, good
3: job, honey. <laughs> oh, but I think you did good. I yeah, struggle I'm, with my pull I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more into yoga. I'm a yoga teacher, uh, Ashtanga. So it's kind of intense. Yeah. But uh, the last few years have been more and more into functional training and weightlifting and adding that to my practice. Right. And then uh, last year, we also uh, got our PT, personal trainer education. So because it's... Um, <clears throat> It's great as a coach to be able to do the whole uh, picture with our clients, not only their food and lifestyle, but also actually get into the training bit. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. Cool. It is. And it's, um, yeah, we're nerds with everything about the
1: body. (laughs) That's amazing. So... Yeah, one of the other aspects of understanding how important dietary protein is is that we must change with our changing hormonal milieu. So while you're younger, you can get away with 20 grams of protein and maybe eating Twinkies or having some fruit and and not really prioritizing protein. As we age, the mechanisms and our physiology changes, and I think that this is very underappreciated. And what I mean by that is that the muscle has a reduced capacity to sense and utilize protein. The way in which you overcome that is you actually require more protein as you age, not less. So this is where the per-meal dosing of protein is very essential and understanding that that's why hitting 40 grams of protein per meal or 30 grams of protein per meal is very essential because it overcomes this concept of anabolic resistance which is this resistant to resistance to protein and efficiency of usage
4: right and that explains it because i see a lot of women like in their 40s and over that feels like what They did not have problems losing a little extra weight back in the days, but now they just can't seem to get it off. And they eat less and they exercise more and a lot of them do like running and cardio exercises, but they still can't get that extra weight off. And here's like where you really need to turn it all around and and concentrate on the protein, on the muscles rather than that
1: extra um, adipose tissue right Right. Because then you have to think, what is the long-term trajectory? What does that look like?
0: Mm. If you
1: continue going down the road of it becoming more difficult to lose weight, and perhaps you are not targeting skeletal muscle, the chances are you're going to lose it. There's going to be a 10% decline per decade. Uh, You must stop that.
4: Yeah. Good point. What's the trajectory?
3: Yeah. Mm. And it's also this with women. We've been taught how to eat less salads. And now with the latest raw food um, and vegan trends, like seeds and uh, like bird food, you know, (laughs) that's what I think. It's not human food. And sometimes when we get clients, you know, they're like, but you can eat meat and you can eat eggs. And they're like, really? Really? And you, you am just, I allowed? Am I allowed? And some even, you know, get really emotional about this because they haven't been able or felt they can eat real food. Right. Makes and they're
4: constantly hungry as yeah, well. Constantly
3: hungry and uh, struggling with food and all, um, all this... Um, concept of food being some food is bad and so i think that's why it's also so important to talk about this you know there's right. no bad food not real food right
1: no food shaming
3: <laughs> no So, okay, it's been so great talking to you. And um, before we're wrapping up with our two last questions, we just wonder if you have like three or five recommendations that we could, you know, hand over to our listeners in order to live a healthy and vibrant life?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the first thing is wake up, get outside, get sunlight in your eyes, really entrain that circadian rhythm. They'll feel more energized. First meal of the day should be high in protein, roughly 40 grams. And I typically recommend shooting for one gram per pound, ideal body weight. Um, And I know you guys use kilograms, so but for me, it's one gram per pound, ideal body weight. And then number three is monitoring carbohydrates. So I never recommend carbs at first meal of the day. You can have it in subsequent meals, no more than 40 grams per meal. Um, and typically start with keeping it on the lower end. Maybe you want to keep it at 90 to hundred grams. And then the fourth, and I think this, that is the fourth thing. So I'll give you one more. The next thing would be really close your day with gratitude. Think about what is it that you're grateful for? Um, and you could even throw in, what did you do that you can improve upon in the next day?
4: Mm, great thank you so much and uh, one of our last questions is if you have a daily routine or ritual that you do in order to feel good and that you would like to share with us and our listeners
1: certainly so i wake up in the morning and i meditate you know that thought train goes right away i wake up in the morning i meditate and i always uh, design my day before the day has happened
4: Mm. all right what kind of meditation do you do
1: so for me right now, I do a more of a visualization meditation and it changes, uh, but that's what I do in the morning. I take 20 minutes to do that. And then I design my day. So I write what my day is going to be like as if it was the end of the day. Mm.
3: All right. Nice. Cool. And if, you only, if you're only allowed to do one thing for your health, what would that be?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> we know. Um, <laughs> You know, if I could only do one thing, I would say hard physical training. You have to do hard physical training. Mm.
3: Great. Can't argue with you. (laughs) So
4: thank you so much, Dr. Gabrielle. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with us. Um, Where would you you, uh, direct people that are interested in learning more about you and what
1: you do? Um, Yeah. Where
4: can we direct them? Absolutely.
1: So they can go to my website at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, um, at Dr. Gabrielle com. I'm very active on YouTube, Instagram. I have a free downloadable protocol that people can download from my website and that's Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, dot com. And I have a great newsletter that is not spam oriented, comes out once a week and uh high target information, high value.
4: Great. Thank Good. you so much. Thank you. So, uh, Thank you so much for today. Yes. Yeah, and the best to you and your family and your new family member here in 2021. Thanks
3: so, so um, when's the date calculated? March.
1: March, yeah. okay.
3: Okay. Well, we're going to follow you on Instagram and see great. you
1: there. And uh, good luck with everything. And if you guys want to learn more, my YouTube, I put a ton of education out. Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, great. I started watching you and uh, your mentor, what's his name? Dr. Lehman. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that was great. Yeah. yeah, so thank you so much.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero. 351 300 Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.